past ball show. Brought to you by JohnPielli.com. What the f*** you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- f- Put that in. I don't... So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip. Six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going to the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry? Just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this, he sucks. Well, the Rangers win. He's out. Yes, Brady is out. Look at look at this. Brady is out. And uh, team is mad. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This can run cleaner than any. Baseball business that was ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. Oh yeah, good morning. Another nice Saturday morning to you at Passball Show, JohnPielli.com. Happy to be with you guys. And of course this past week, this is April nineteenth today, and of course this past week is April fifteenth, which is known obviously throughout the country as tax day, but um, obviously known for a lot of other things. And unfortunately a year ago today or a year ago, April fifteenth was the unfortunate incident involving the shooting and I'm sorry the bombings over near the Boston Marathon and the finish line and the, resulted in the deaths of three people and uh, 200 plus I think 264 if I'm not mistaken were injured on a, a terrible day of terroristic activity and that happened on a year ago April 15th but obviously in a baseball world we all know um, about what April 15th means to Major League Baseball and Jackie Robinson. And if you followed the show last week, I talked a little bit about another anniversary that happens to be on April 15th, happened exactly five years before Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier and became the first African-American to play a Major League Baseball game. And we talked about Puerto Rico, and we talked about Hiram Bithorn, who was the Cubs' right-hand pitcher that became the first Puerto Rican player to ever play in Major League history, and what that meant, obviously, and what it led to from a guy like Luis Olmo becoming the first Puerto Rican-born player to hit a home run in a World Series seven years later in 1949, and of course, Roberto Clemente and everything that he means uh, to, obviously, not just Puerto Rican-born players, but, you know, Dominican born players, Cuban born players everybody that pretty much played overseas and uh, you know we got into that last week and we didn't get a chance to hear you know in depth about me talking about Hiram Bithorn pitching for the Cubs and what that meant and it's place in baseball history which happened to happen on April 15th. Just check out my archives on JohnPielli.com um, you could hear the show last week and we'll get, I'll talk a little more in depth about it but obviously Jackie Robinson you know Bacon Major League History, April 15th, 1947. 
first African-American player to ever play in a baseball game for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, we know that, and Major League Baseball, ever since 1997, has done what they can to honor it. It started out by some players wearing number 42, and it, over time it's come to a tradition where every Major League Baseball player is wearing number 42 out there um, on their respective teams. And uh, I mean, if you're, a, if you're a baseball fan and maybe not a baseball historian, um, it does get a little confusing. You see every single player wearing number 42, and hey, uh, the guy's bringing up a pinch hitter. The joke is, hey, it's going to be number 42, or who's coming out of the bullpen? It's going to be number 42. Uh, I understand what it means for baseball, and obviously it means a lot to Rachel Robinson and the Robinson family and uh, all African-American players that are on the field and probably within their own right or their own mind feel that uh, they owe it to Jackie Robinson or Jackie Robinson paved the way for them to be out on the field. I, I got a solution, and it's something that I toyed with for a little bit. And, um, and you know, why is it a problem? Uh, you know what? I, I think it's, it just causes a lot of confusion on a baseball field, and it's getting a little redundant. Not the celebration, uh, not the you know the the pregame opening pitch, and then the, the symbolism of everything that Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier on April fifteenth, nineteen forty seven, and how, what it means to Major League Baseball. Not all that, but what's getting redundant is the fact that uh, you know it, it doesn't seem to have that same fire, that same passion, and when you go in year after year, um, it, it, it doesn't mean as much as it meant the year before. Now it's April 15th, and every player in Major League Baseball is wearing number 42. And let's be honest, there's probably some players that are making you know impact in the Major Leagues that might not know enough about number 42 and what it means. And I was reading an article uh, written by uh, Shannon Stark of Mets Police, and I'll give her a plug here because it hit on something that, that I had thought of a couple years ago ago, never actually put it into words, so I give her credit for actually writing the article and putting it out there, but uh, I think what would make things a little better for April 15th and celebrating Jackie Robinson and what, what he means to the game, instead of having every Major League Baseball player wear number 42, and some of them, you know, it might not mean anything to, some of them might not even care, and we've heard stories from guys like, you know, Torrey Hunter and other guys that have told stories about how some players make it up to the major leagues or make it up through the minor leagues and don't know who Jackie Robinson is, so there are a chance, and, you know, I'm sure the numbers aren't very big, there's not a ton of them, but there are players playing in the major leagues or even up in the minor leagues that don't know enough about Jackie Robinson. Here's how you make it better. You, instead of having every Major League Baseball player wear number 42 on April 15th, I think each team should select one particular player, whether it's an African-American player, whether it's a player that within their own heart Jackie Robinson means a ton to, or a player that best represents your organization to wear number 42. And you say, all right, well, why are you going to go from 25 players on each roster and every coach wearing number 42 to just one player on each team? Isn't it, isn't it not making it as impactful to just have one player on each team that plays on April 15th wear number 42? Here's why it makes sense. That one player to them, more than likely, Jackie Robinson is going to mean a lot more to 
And it's not that it doesn't, you know, the, the symbolism of everything doesn't mean anything to the other players. But you pick that one player. The organization picks that one player. And within that, that player best represents it. And what are the reporters going to do? What do we do? We, we flock to the locker. Uh, and, you know, let's say the Mets decide that X player is going to wear number 42. Where are all the reporters going to? They're going to his locker to ask him, hey, you've been selected to wear number 42. How does that make you feel? What do you, what does Jackie Robinson breaking color barrier and his impact in baseball history mean to you? And that player will be trusted to probably be eloquent enough and have within his own reasons. And, you know, even if he's not a black player, let's be honest. I mean, even, even if uh, a, a Caucasian American baseball player wears number 42, that, that'll even add to the story. That'll even make it. It'll say, hey, you're not African American. Uh, why, why would you want to have this honor as opposed to somebody else who isn't? And the answer, the answer would be uh, baseball history and what it is and how better of a game is it is. Now, the fact that it's been integrated for so long and how crazy it is to even say this, how we're talking about white baseball players playing with black baseball players, like it's something that's crazy and hadn't been done before. But let's be honest. Think about how many years, you know, the unfair things going on in this country and it exists where black players had to play within their own league and organize their own league and couldn't not only couldn't play baseball with other white players, but couldn't do a lot of things in society that white people were allowed to do. So, you know, going forward with this, whatever player on each team is selected is going to be expected to have a speech, is going to be expected to interview with all the reporters and take a lot of pressure upon themselves to make sure that they best exemplify what Jackie Robinson means, not only by him playing, but the way he played the game is going to have a lot to do with it, too. And you take all 30 teams, and, and listen, maybe, maybe it goes from 25 players on each team and every coach to a handful of players or a couple. And maybe a, a couple teams say, well, we got two or three guys that all really feel the same and look forward to this day, and it means everything in the world for them to put on number 42. Maybe it starts out with a couple more players than just one. But at the same time, you're, you're narrowing it down to a point where, you know what, instead of quantity, you're getting quality. And the quality of the players that are representing what Jackie Robinson means to Major League Baseball and what meant to Major League Baseball history is going to be better than just a group of 42s going out there. Because I'm telling you, I'm almost sure and almost positive the fact that a lot of people, there's a lot of players in the game that don't know enough about Jackie. Robinson and are just wearing the number 42 on April 15th simply because they have to. And I think that's a little silly. And, and, and if you ask and you want to pull every single player, and I'm sure there's been some players that have been asked that may have said no comment or I, I, I don't have much to offer or I don't, I don't know if anybody's gone as far as saying I don't know enough about Jackie Robinson to talk about it, but I'm sure there's been players that have been asked about Jackie Robinson and what he means to them and what, what his impact was on Major League Baseball, and they probably kept the questions the answers to the questions very short and sweet, and just kind of moved on from it. And it's an you know, it's it, listen. We're, we're all human beings. There's people that don't know 
just about everything in this world. So, the, you know, to think that a major league baseball player could be out on the field and not know enough to talk about Jackie Robinson, I, I think is not a silly statement because there are players that probably don't know enough about the man and what the man did and his impact on Major League Baseball history. And I, I just think that, you know, instead of quantity, instead of having every single player that dons a uniform on April 15th wear number 42, you, you know, what, what happens when everybody's forced to do something? It, it, you know, it loses its meaning after a while. And, you know, what you've seen really over the last several years, and obviously you've seen some great moments with it. And obviously if you're going through highlights of a season, you know, it's great when you see that guy hit that winning hit or come up with a big home run or get that big strikeout when everybody's wearing number 42 because you know what day that was and you think of Jackie Robinson and you understand what his impact was on Major League Baseball history. But the fact that everybody's just dawning the number, Let's be honest. Take it to whatever job you have. Take it to anything that you're doing with your life. And let's just not think about baseball for a second. If you are forced to by a company, and let's say whatever company you work for says, all right, you guys are going to wear these great-looking whatever, suit and tie, it's going to look phenomenal, and you guys are going to wear it every day from here on forward. You're going to get some excited people. Some excited people are going to say, wow, this suit looks pretty damn good. I like the way it looks. I love the fact that we're wearing this to work. But then they go and then they wear it again the next day. And they may still be talking about it. A couple weeks down the road, they may still be, hey, I get to dress pretty snazzy going into my job every day. But what happens a couple months down the road? What happens a year down the road when you got to wear the same type of suit? It gets a little bit old after a while, and it loses its meaning. Whatever meaning it had for the company to have its associates represent them with whatever gear they're wearing loses its impact after a while. And I think the same thing is starting to happen with number 42 on April 15th and every Major League Baseball player, coach, and manager wearing the same number. And I'm not saying, and and if, if we go the other way and we have a player or two on each team, it doesn't mean that the other players don't care about it. But I, I do think it, it makes it makes the wearing of number 42 the honor that it was supposed to have been in the first place. Let's be honest, the, the players that wore, remember in the beginning in 1997 and moving forward after we celebrated 50 years of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in Major League Baseball, after that was done, you knew about the honor that it meant for the players to wear the number 42. And listen, some of them it had more of an impact on, some of it it had less of an impact on. But the bottom line was the players that were wearing that number, it meant the world to. And the ones that were chosen or the ones that chose to wear it within those first couple of years knew what it meant and exemplified what it meant to wear the number of, of the great Jackie Robinson. And now you got everybody wearing it because they're told to. And I think it loses its impact. Now you limit it down to two or three players on each team, and you say, all right, the ones that are wearing it, not necessarily care more about Jackie Robinson and what he means to baseball history, but you know it means the absolute world to these guys that are wearing it. And you can see maybe a Tory Hunter where he may shed a tear in a, in, a, in a press conference talking about what it means to be allowed to wear the number. 
Because what, let's be honest, in Major League Baseball, it, it's not a privilege. It's something that everybody is just doing. So if you go back and you make it a privilege to want to wear that number, you're going to have, obviously, more players coming up, maybe behind the scenes talking to their organization, saying, listen, Jackie Robinson means the world to me and the way he played. And like I said, it might not even be an African-American player that says this, but the player that goes out there and you know, asks and says, listen, if I could wear, if I could have the privilege of wearing number 42 on this one day, you have no idea what it means to me. And maybe maybe they get turned down that first year because the team has two or three players that's wearing it already. Maybe next year comes around and they earn that opportunity to wear that number 42 on the next year. And if they do, that will mean even better. And look at how it ends up coming out, on, on, you know, in the press. And, you know, that player maybe shedding a tear or maybe, maybe talking about, listen, I, I never thought – you know, something would I could do would mean so special would, would be so special to me. But the fact that I get to wear number forty two on this day and I've been chosen to wear it, it's phenomenal, and it means everything in the world to me. Hopefully, you guys understand that. Any feedback, like I always say, we keep the program interactive here on the Passball Show. Tweet at me at John underscore Pielli. Let me know what's on your mind uh, in regards to Jackie Robinson, April 15, 1947. Like you said earlier, sadly, uh, a year ago today, or a year ago, April 15th, was the Boston Marathon and the bombing there where a couple people lost their lives. And, you know, unfortunate. Uh, it did lead to Boston Strong, which, I, I, of course, you know, part of things that happen with tragedies like this, you have cities that rally around uh, causes like this. And obviously what happened with Boston, a lot of good people did a lot of good things uh, for Boston. So a little, little bit later on in the program, we're going to talk about Baseball history in Boston, and not baseball history that everybody knows. There's some common things that we know about baseball history with the Red Sox, with the fact that the Boston Braves played up through 1952. Uh, Obviously, Babe Ruth was sold from the Red Sox to the Yankees. I'm going to talk about some things that maybe you did not know about Boston baseball history, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But first thing we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to make a little transition to Brooklyn Dodger baseball, and we're going to move it into a guy who was drafted by the Brooklyn Dodgers, played a little bit for the Los Angeles Dodgers before emerging as a power hitter in the 1960s for the Baltimore Orioles, and that's Jim Gentile. Jim Gentile will join the program and talks about some of his struggles coming up through the major leagues and stuff like that. So we're going to take a quick break and be right back with former power-hitting first baseman Jim Gentile back after this. I always wanted to work in sports, kind of got sidetracked in college, then ended up in a job and and realized I wasn't happy doing what I was doing. Researched CSB and ended up making, you know, one of the better decisions in my life. Want to be part of the exciting world of sports broadcasting? You've got to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. 
There's no stalling here. You start learning from day one. How to use the camera, learning what you're supposed to be doing on camera, getting into the radio booth, DJing. But the biggest thing for me from CSB, they helped me get my foot in the door in two of the best internships in the city. Nothing about the job gets old. It's, it's The good thing about sports is every night's a little bit different. We place thousands of grads for nearly 50 years. Contact us today. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit GoCSB.com. Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. You're listening to MTR Radio. We have ignition. Strap in. You're about to listen to the hottest sounds on MTR Radio. And you're listening to MTR Radio. A flippin' out radio production. And you've got it. Hot, 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 hot. Blaze, blaze in the steel. Always covering the most current topics today. Check us out on mtrradio.com. We offer packages to advertise on our website and on MTR Radio. Get your name in front of over five and a half million people. Advertise on MTR today. Email info at mtrmedia.com for details. back john pielli pass ball show right here on the mtr radio network don't forget to check out johnpielli.com i got all my archive shows my over 200 interviews i've recorded with current and former major league baseball players up there as well as well as bases empty blog which gets you into all things historical and conventional which i've talked about for over the past three years and i guarantee you all you got to do is just go on my blog search a player or a some some uh, event or something like that, and it'll come up and articles that have any um, relevance to what you want to hear about. I, I guarantee I've probably written about. But before uh, you know any further, we're going to play an interview I recorded this past week with former Major League First baseman Jim Gentile. And Jim, of course, uh, had a, a ridiculous stretch from 1960 through 1965, where he he ended up uh, just just doing a phenomenal job as a power hitter when he finally got the chance to play he hit uh you know he hit the 46 home runs drove in 141 runs hitting 302 in 1961 and of course that doesn't get as much attention because of what was going on between the Yankees and Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle that season where Maris of course ends up breaking Babe Ruth's home run record with his 61st home run but a phenomenal season by Jim Gentile and one one thing he gets into is talks about his struggles uh through the minor league 
league system where he did nothing but put up numbers in in Triple A in, in and was there probably longer than he should have been. And uh, on the other side of the interview, I'm going to talk about a couple things about Jim Gentile that are very interesting and um, how his struggles to get through the minor leagues and be pushed up um, it makes a lot of comparisons to two other past guests that I've had on the past ball show. And Jim, between uh, the years of 1960 and 1963, hit 152 home runs and had, you know, obviously a tremendous job. One of the top power hitters in the American League over that time ends up uh, playing after his time with Baltimore with the Kansas City Athletics for a couple of years, the Houston Astros for a couple of years, before finishing his career with the Cleveland Indians in 1966. He was actually drafted as a pitcher, which is something we're going to get into. So, you know, hopefully you guys enjoy this spot with former Major League First Baseman Jim Gentile. Good afternoon. This is John Pielli. I'm happy to be joined by former Major League First Baseman Man, Jim Gentile. Jim, thanks for having a couple minutes today. Hey, Jim, when you first, when you were first signed by the the Los Angeles Dodgers, or maybe it might have been the Brooklyn Dodgers in, in 1952, it was, and uh, were you were drafted as a pitcher? You know, tell us a little bit about that experience and kind of growing up as a pitcher. Well, no, I, I, you know, I, uh, coming out of high school, I was, uh, you know, you, when you're in high school, you play every position, but being left-handed, I played first, and I pitched, and uh, for some reason, I had a pretty good arm, so they, my senior year, we had already won the championship two years in a row in San Francisco, and we were going for third, and uh, the coach, Dick Murray, asked me if I would pitch, and so I pitched that year, which I wish I had never, because people started to look at me as a pitcher. And believe me, I was not a pitcher, I was a thrower. And uh, I could throw probably harder than most kids that age. And uh, I uh, ended up the season with 12 wins and one loss and an ERA of 0. 0.35. And uh, I just, uh, 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 I pitched 75 innings, I struck out 134 guys, and then I pitched the East-West game. Nine innings, I struck out 18. So when it came time to sign, everybody wanted to sign me as a pitcher, not a first baseman. Now, at the time, did you did did you wish you you had uh, you know you were able to let them know more, that you were more of a hitter than a pitcher? Because yeah, you know, I would assume coming up, you kind of you kind of felt you were you were more of a hitter of a position player. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's coach that we're watching us play during our years out there in San Francisco. They knew I played first and I could hit, but I had such a great senior year. They thought, oh, well, let's make him a pitcher. So after I, when I signed with the Dodgers, uh, I signed a uh, you know, pitcher slash first baseman, and uh, uh, they gave me $36,000. So... And, uh, all right, so after that first year, was was it you decided that, or, or the decision was made by the organization that you were going to go forward as a position player? Well, Buddy Lavazzi called me because I was a, a, a guy on the phone, and she called me and asked me I was on the front line roster, and he asked me did I want to uh, come in early as a pitcher or uh, come in as a first baseman, and I said I'd like to try first. I said because I feel like I could always go back to pitching. So I came into spring training as a first baseman, and uh, I had a hell of a spring. I hit everybody. I mean, they, they had me playing A ball, double A ball, triple A ball, and I'd go up and I'd uh, you know, play two, three games a, a day. And Fletcher uh, Thompson picked me out as the outstanding player in spring training of 53. And uh, 
They wouldn't tell me where they were going to send me. I figured I was going back to Santa Barbara, Class C, you know, as a first baseman. But uh, they came to me and said, we're going to send you to the Westerling Class A for about 20, 25 days and then send you down. So I went to Pueblo. But by the time the 25 days were up, I was hitting so good, George Fisher decided to keep me. And I led the league in home runs and RBI. I hit 34 and drove it 109. And once again, John Pielli here with Jim Gentile. And what, what really stands out is the, the success you had, you know, at the, the earliest stage within that first year. And, you know, you continued to put up very good numbers for several years in the minor leagues. Uh, did it get frustrating at any certain point? Because, you know, year after year you continue to put up good numbers and you still don't get the call to the base. That's very frustrating because, you know, uh, I look at the players nowadays, if you have a good year in A-ball, I mean, start A, you play a month, you go to double A, and stay a month and a half, you go to triple A, next year you're in the big leagues. Uh, that's a lot of them, because the very next year they sent me to Mobile, and I was leading the league in home runs, and they shook me out, because uh, Rocky Nelson came back to, to Montreal, so Warren Walker came back to Mobile, and they sent me back to Buffalo. Sometimes without necessarily a direction for when 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 they were going to be in the major leagues. Like for instance, you know, remember that we had D, C, D, A, double A, triple A, and the Dodgers usually had two teams in in different leagues in those divisions. And if someone ahead of you didn't move, you didn't move, and you had six years of being optioned out. So all you could do, there's nothing you could do. You go in and tell them to sell you, and they go, nobody wants you. Now, that's a shame, and uh, you know, of course, you know, at, at the time you were signed, uh, you know, Gil Hodges was still was still playing there, and then later on, uh, Norm Norm Larker Lar Lar becomes the and first. Norm Larker was a, like when we went in. Uh, well, the first game I ever played in the big leagues uh, was against the Phillies. I didn't know I didn't play, and all of a sudden, uh, the captain Peter Reese comes and says, "You're playing today, Diamond." I said, "Really?" And so I played, and Robert Roberts was pitching, pitching, and the second time up against Roberts, I took him upper deck center field for my first hit, and all run. And uh, that was it. I didn't play again. And then in 58, when I got there, uh, I started, uh, I came up from uh, Spokane, and I uh, played uh, against uh, the Phillies again. I went three for four, drove in four runs, and I didn't play again until we got to L.A. And, and you remember, I don't know if you know about the Coliseum, but it was huge. Yeah, it was. 
Yeah, it was. I mean, if he, I mean, he could hit the ball out there, he could hit it out anywhere. Obviously, you're talking about you know some of the some of the tough times you had as far as being down in the minors, and obviously you 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 pretty much should have gotten a chance a little bit early. Was there was there any point because you mentioned before about the the decisions to go to the minors or go do something else? Was, was there any time that you thought about maybe giving it up? Now, when you, you finally get traded to uh, the Baltimore Orioles, um, yeah, it must have been a little bit of a refreshing feeling. At least you feel you're going to be with a different organization. Maybe there's another set of opportunity. How, how did how, how did you feel first of all, and how did it initially work out for you? Well, I first uh, I was playing water ball in Panama, and I bumped into Joe the Belly, and he said, "Congratulations!" And I said, "For what?" He said, "You got traded to Baltimore." I said, well, I don't know anything. He said, oh, yeah, it's been a sporting news. So when I got home, I got a call from Baltimore telling me that. Well, they bought me on a look, so you wouldn't even have been even trade. They, they traded uh, uh, Louis Miranda and uh, Bill and Joey at $50,000 for me for a 30-day look. If I didn't look within 30 days, or even spring training, they could send me back with $25,000. I just was, uh, I just was upset. I just figured that it's not worth it. 
frustrating yeah tell us a little bit about you know 1960 because that's when you get a chance you know you first you first come up with the Orioles and you get a chance to play a little bit if I'm not mistaken right against some lefties after a while? You end up, you know, taking off, having a you know phenomenal, phenomenal season. Um, what, how far into the season did you start playing every day, or were you still were, were you still not getting games against left-hand pitching? Well, I, in '61, I started playing every day, probably around May 13th. And, uh, 
You know, you end up taking off. You had 46 home runs. You're driving over 140 runs that season. Um, you know, from from that, that that point forward, it's probably a little fulfilling that you know you end up you know you end up knowing that you know your your persistence ends up paying off. But you still probably had to be a little bit frustrated, Jim, right? Because you thought about maybe at some point, some a couple of the years that you that you lost. You know, yeah, once you once, once you proved it to yourself, you could make it to the major. You, you can make it in the major leagues. I, I, I figured I lost maybe three or four years. I thought I should have got a shot at the Rangers at, at least after the 56 season when I hit 40 in double A. You know, I mean, I had 68 home runs in two years in double A. I mean, somebody said he'd give you at least uh, a look see, but they didn't. They didn't give me a look see or anything. Just, just stripping you out. <laughs> That's the way it was. I mean, uh, it, I'm very happy with the time I got in the big leagues and, and the career I had. Uh, I got a very nice letter from Buzzy Bavazia. Uh, you know, I went on to manage uh, uh, in the independent leagues. And uh, I guess I had an interview with a gentleman from L.A. And Buzzy heard it. He wrote me a real nice letter telling me you should be proud of your minor league and major league career. You had a great year. And uh, we were glad to be friends. You know, it was a really nice letter from him. He always, he always was nice to me, but... And of course, John Pialli here with Jim Gentile. Now, you know, you end up, uh, you know, that year, talk a little bit about the five grand slams you hit in, in 1961, because at the time it was an American League record stood for for many years until Don Manningly hit six in 1987. Uh, was that? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, you don't drive the list of guys that hit you on, and uh, I had great hitters. I mean, Brooksy and Jackie Graham and Whitey Herzog when you played, you know, uh, we. Hey, well, 
uh, when when you were when you were coming up, Jim, was there was there any any type of player or any particular player that you kind of emulated, like anybody that you looked up to while, while they're coming up and say, wow, you know what, I'd like to be like this player. Last day of spring 
when you when you managed in, in, in independent leagues, this was uh, you know quite a while after you were done playing. You were still, yeah. You, wow. So so you know quite a bit of time had gone by between you being affiliated with with the team and then going back to it. Did you notice that any any major changes in the game, the way it was played, when when you started managing? Well, I, I just noticed that the attitude of the players was different. But in, you know, in independent ball, a lot of, all of them want to try to get a shot back in an organization. And, and you can't get it to play as a team. It's, I mean, I'm sure some managers could. I had a tough time. I talked to them and I, everything, but they're all worried about you. Do I go over four? They're going to release me, you know, because you come and, excuse me, players come and go in that league. You know, and I... Uh, it was tough. I think how bad it was. I got in a conversation, uh, uh, altercation with a pitcher, and uh, I, uh, we started walking toward each other, and uh, their whole team came run out. And I got the only guy that came to protect me was a little third baseman and my clubhouse guy. Wow. Now that's crazy how the, how the game has changed. You know, you, I'm sure when you came up all the years that you were playing, particularly, you know, early on, you saw definitely a different attitude then than you saw with the, with the players of the next generation. There's some great leagues and everything, but there's a lot of people that are particularly on that 61 team with the Orioles. Was there, there one game or one moment that stands out to you, Jim? Yeah, no question. 
question. Listen, Jim, I want to thank you for having some time. I really appreciate uh, you know all the stories and everything, and I'll talk to you again soon. So Jim Gentile for being part of the program of his struggles in the minor leagues kind of remind me of a couple other guys I've had on the program and that of course is Ed Charles and Joe Durham so feel free to check back johnpiele.com my uh, my interview archives and I get a little bit about that so we'll be back in another five minutes to talk to Don Leppard and 50 year old blogger Matt Nadell.